Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast. This is 1058B. The Bs are always great guests. The A's, the medical news of the week and what it means to you. Last week's guest, we talked about aortic aneurysms and the causes and cures. You'll want to listen to that. That was 1057B. But today, even a relevant guest to viruses and vaccines and traveling, we're talking about hepatitis, the ABCs, with a real pro. Dr. Robert Gish and his website is www.robertgish.com, no punctuation, and we'll repeat that again. But Robert Gish has been a developer of the largest or one of the largest liver transplant programs in the country at Cal Pacific and again in San Diego at UCSD. He is now um, a the medical director of the Hepatitis B Foundation as well as teaches at the University of Nevada in Reno and Las Vegas and at Loma Linda and teaches pharmacy at UC San Diego. So he's a incredibly busy and wonderfully knowledgeable about the ABCs of liver disease. And we'll actually get into maybe a little bit on fatty liver disease as well, since that's pretty common. But Dr. Gish, thanks for coming on. And tell us a little bit, how common is viral hepatitis? So viral hepatitis is quite common in the United States. Hepatitis A, we're not really sure of the uh, overall epidemiology or uh, incidence. And of course, this is an acute infection, so it resolves in everybody. If they, the patient survives, hepatitis B is 2.4 million in the United States, and hepatitis C is 2.5 million currently infected. So if you add all that together, you're in the six to seven million range with very rare events of hepatitis D is in Delta or David, or hepatitis E is an elephant. So ABCs, know your ABCs, is a big message we would like to spread throughout the community. And now hepatitis A, I know I got vaccinated and my wife got vaccinated against it when we were traveling, I think, to India a while back, um, many years ago. Um, Do you need to get a booster for it? No booster, but you should get the two-dose series that takes place, and that can be one month apart or six months apart, just depending on your travel plans and the urgency to complete the vaccination process. But we know that only 15% of adults have received one dose of hepatitis A vaccine and only 9% have gotten both doses. But they do provide long-term protection and we're really using the word lifelong. And hepatitis B, you also can get shots against, is that right? Vaccine-preventable disease, you are right. Hepatitis A and B fall into that. We have great vaccines for hepatitis B. And in fact, there's a new two-dose vaccine called Heplasav B that's taken four weeks apart with a very, very high response rate, even in low-response people, say older age or diabetes, and uh, long-term protection. So this is a major advance in hepatitis B space, but nothing for hepatitis C yet. Well, I can say, and I'll 
I'll say stuff. I, I got hepatitis B when a resident stuck me with a needle way back in 1979. And my wife got the vaccine. Thank God I cleared it. My wife got the vaccine for it and never took the meaning the vaccine antibodies never showed up after two attempts at that. So this new vaccine would be appropriate for her. Maybe, but we no longer retest people or boost people. So if a person's gotten three doses or the new two-dose vaccine and they're not high risk, which is very, very few people now, we consider them immune. And that's because we have B cells and T cells. And if you don't have antibodies, you can still have a very good T cell, T as in Tom, response that protects people. So it's two dose or three dose, no follow-up check unless it's somebody that's super high risk with constant blood exposure, or very high-risk sexual behavior. And now C is a treatable disease. Is that right? Yeah, let's say the word C is for cure. We have an eight-week and a 12-week treatment for hepatitis C and 98% cure rate. And if you fail, you're in the 2%, we have a second-line therapy that also has a 98% cure rate. So and inevitably, all hepatitis C patients can be cured. It's all about testing everybody, test all adults. Anybody who's virus positive gets linked to care. That's really important for hepatitis C. So we can stop the spread and lead to viral hepatitis elimination goals by 2030. Now, hepatitis is inflammation of the liver. What other symptoms come with, for example, hepatitis A? How would one know if one got hepatitis A? So all the viral hepatitides um, have very vague symptoms. It could be liver pain, right upper abdominal pain where the liver's located. It could be muscle pain, uh, joint pain, not feeling well. And of course, the more severe, the urine will turn dark, the eyes will turn yellow. Occasionally, there's a rash or severe joint pain with this, um, but it's these vague symptoms that should lead to an immediate checkup. If there's a big change in your, the way you feel as a patient, get in for a checkup, a physical, and just a regular chemistry panel will start the workup. We're talking with Dr. Robert Gish. The website is robertgish.com. He is the medical director of the Hepatitis B Foundation, as well as has been a, a, a professor at, at as good a place as there is for this UC San Diego, and now teaches at uh, Las Vegas, Reno, and Loma Linda, as well as at San Diego in the pharmacy school. Dr. Gish, so why are we so concerned with hepatitis A? Is it, well, everybody's concerned with viral disease with COVID and with other s coronaviruses. What's different about this virus that makes it of concern now? Very, very important question. So in 2016, there was a multi-state outbreak that sadly began here in San Diego with over 39,000 cases reported. This was in um, people who use drugs, um, homeless individuals, high-risk sexual behavior, but one-third had no identified risk factor. But they did have older age, which leads to a much higher hospitalization rate, which, which can be up to 60%. And a lot of people have underlying diseases. You mentioned NASH at the beginning, so fatty liver or alcoholic liver disease. If you get hepatitis A on top of chronic liver disease, 
the severity is much, much worse. And 26 states right now are experiencing active hepatitis A outbreaks, therefore risk for transmission. And this is soiled food or water that leads to this close contact. And we do have a homelessness epidemic in this country, which we hope can we can work on over the next uh, few years. So the way you might get this is through food, contaminated food or food from soil. And I suppose um, with a shortage of workers, we're beginning to see um, some firms uh, perhaps have people who might have this in their workforce. Um, and so is the precaution wash your food well? What's the precaution you do if you're taking food home? And what do you do at a restaurant? So, you know, washing food at home, critical. Wash your hands, critical. Um, in a restaurant in the United States, there are rare outbreaks. They typically come from soiled strawberries or spinach or something else that's not been washed thoroughly before food preparation. You really have to trust the restaurant you're going to. So you watch for the Department of Health certificates. You know, you look on Yelp or Google and just track down whether there's been problems there. Usually if there's an outbreak that's notified citywide or countywide quickly. So just keep your eye on the news and watch and see if there's an outbreak somewhere and then back check things. And when there's a food recall, be aware, check what's in your refrigerator, check what you may have been exposed to. And you said, as, as I remember what you said earlier, that about 15% had received one of the two doses and 9% both doses. Who should get vaccinated? Should everyone over a certain age get vaccinated or who should get vaccinated? Well, we take the stand at the Hepatitis B Foundation that everybody should know their hepatitis A status or get vaccinated. So that means get, get a blood test, see if you're immune or been exposed or get the vaccine. Just very, very simple rules. Of course, people who are risk behavior, if there's high risk sexual behavior, homeless, um, uh, IV drug use in those clinics where I work in San Diego called La Maestra, it's a federal clinic, we're very, very aggressive about testing and vaccination. Um, and someone's just worried about hepatitis A, get tested or get vaccinated. International travel, make sure you've tested or vaccinated. Most of us are traveling again. Fortunately, it's going to be able to really ramp up. So people should be aware or just get the vaccine. Some really simple messaging will get this uh, pandemic under control, just like we're trying to do with COVID. Is this present in certain countries more than others? In other words, I know that when I traveled to India, they told me to get the hepatitis A vaccine the first time. It was probably in the 80s or something like that. Are there other countries or is it prevalent throughout the world now? It's definitely more in low and middle income countries where food and water sanitation is less than desirable or less than what we would consider standard. But remember, in this country, we have problems with water also. Um, there's probably 9% of the population has water access that's far below uh, clean water standards or has to be brought in by truck or others. This is on a number of our um, Indian reservations. So these are really important issues to be thinking about in these special populations. I worked in the Navajo Hopi Reservation, Tuba City, and we we're very aware of hepatitis A risk and transmission from contaminated water there. And how transmissible, um, in other words, we're, we're now bumping fists instead of shaking hands. 
um, and we're doing, but we in we still are talking to people. Is it is it in the air at all, or does this have to be a hand to hand or hand to food or food to mouth uh, contact? It's really a physical contact. This is not aerosolized in any way, and it has to be some type of fecal material that's contaminating a surface that somebody touches. So. Just to give you an example, someone's waiting in line at a baseball game, you know, in a certain part of the city. If there's a homeless population nearby, you're trying to put your shoe on, you grab the fence nearby to, you know, get your balance to, you know, you know tie your shoe or something. Make sure you wash your hands afterwards. And because of the coronavirus, we have these hand cleaning stations everywhere. So if you see one, wash your hands. You don't know what you've touched, what you've grabbed recently. Just be compulsive about hand cleaning. It helps with the coronavirus. It helps with hepatitis A and also even hepatitis B to a little bit. And has, now, part of the background material I saw, there was an increase from 2016 to 2019. Has that gone down with these hand stations or um, has uh, has, has the hepatitis A still been prevalent? So it is, we have broken the cycle in a number of areas that it tends to move a little bit, but I'll just give San Diego as an example. The Department of Health and the county, with the help of the state, got mobilized and they took care and moved a lot of the homeless to safer locations. Um, They actually gave a number of them tents. They had hand washing stations near these homeless uh, encampments where a lot of them were living and started testing them and vaccinating them also. Um, we're teaching them about cleanliness, uh, having uh, food access for those individuals as well. So uh, awareness, testing, vaccination, clean water, clean surfaces uh, are all an important part of breaking the cycle. Now, how does one get, if you will, not, not desirable too, but how do you get hepatitis C and hepatitis B in contrast? So hepatitis A is food and and what we call touching direct contact, as you said. How about hepatitis B and C? B and C are both blood-borne, but are also transmitted sexually. So the overlap here is hepatitis A is also sexually transmitted. B is most commonly in the world, mother-to-child transmission at childbirth. In the U.S., we have about a 1,000 babies each year that get hepatitis B at birth, therefore lifelong carriers. We should be at zero, and we're trying to get there with the help of HHS and the CDC. Uh, But in other countries, that vertical transmission has been a huge problem, but it's now being broken by really uh, stringent birth dose vaccination, not just within five days, but we're trying to even get the vaccine down to two hours from birth. And then we don't need to use immune globulin or something to treat the mother in the last trimester. Hepatitis C is really dominated by sharing needles or sharps. So it could be tattoos, body piercing, IV drug use. There's a little bit of sexual transmission, but it requires very intimate contact. And we're going to break the cycle with hepatitis C by testing all adults, which is now standard of care, and linking everybody to cure. And then you break the reinfection cycle combined with education and combined with harm reduction. Very, very important. Now, you were, you ran and developed, you developed and ran one of the very largest liver transplant centers in the world. Um, and 
I guess there's now a set of probably the largest cause of this is fatty liver disease and the consequences of that. Um, how are we doing about that? Are we succeeding at all, in, or is just obesity making that worse? So this is a fantastic comment. Everybody needs to be aware of NASH or MAFLD, metabolic-associated fatty liver disease, and the connection with obesity. And we've just, for the first time in the last one to two years, reached a plateau where our body mass index or body weight's no longer growing. So that's a good sign that we're stopping the growth. But we really need to reverse this because 60% of adults are overweight or obese. And there's a strong linkage with this obesity to store fat in the liver. And people are drinking a lot of alcohol, a lot more in the last 18 months during the pandemic also. So you put alcohol-associated liver disease, also fatty liver, on top of metabolic obesity and diabetes-associated, and we're having a huge problem of acute liver disease in the hospital and also progression of chronic liver disease. The best treatment is weight loss, better exercise, better diet, less calories, better form of calories, vegetarian-type diet. But there's also many treatments that are in development, none that are FDA approved yet, but we do have vitamin E. We can treat diabetes aggressively. Uh, there's a two-step process for diabetes management that does help the liver. Uh, so there's a lot involved and really fatty liver should be managed by a multidisciplinary team. This includes nutritionists, the healthcare team, primary care, potentially endocrine, hepatology, very, very important thoughts. And thank you for the, the moment to discuss. Um, we've been talking with um, someone incredibly knowledgeable in this field, as you can tell, Dr. Robert Gish. Robert Gish, G-I-S-H dot com is his website, or you can go to the CDC website, um, cdc.gov, for more information about the different liver diseases and their risk and the way you can treat them. Um, we're privileged to talk to you, Dr. Gish. Um, anything else you'd like to tell us? I should say to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. You are what motivates us to have this. Um, and to Caitlin, who's our engineer. But Dr. Gish, you get the last word. Thank you very much, Dr. Roizen, Caitlin, for having me. And I just want to remind everybody, you all need to know your ABCs. Please work with your provider to get that knowledge and connected to good health care. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll be back next week, 1059B. And that will be, I, I should tell you our guest, but I want it to be a surprise. It is another wonderful and knowledgeable guest. Thanks very much, Dr. Gish. And thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week.